It's great to be here. I just want to make a quick comment. First of all, you want to turn, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, but a quick comment. I noticed for the ladies' breakfast the picture of fruit. Um, we had a controversy in our church recently. We have men's and women's breakfasts. And the, the ladies pointed out that when we do a promotion for a women's breakfast, it's always fruit. And when we do it for a men's breakfast, it's always bacon. And uh, they, they, we heard two things from them that were uh, really important. One is, why are you trying to kill our husbands? And the second is, do you not think we like bacon? So from, from now on, we will have bacon and fruit on our, on our graphics for both men and women. So... It is great to be here. Um, I had a wonderful time, wonderful time yesterday with the leaders just dialoguing over the issue of mental illness. We're not going to talk about it today, otherwise there would be no reason to come Wednesday. So, um, but it was a great time, great questions, great heart for people who are struggling. Um, and so uh, I'm just so impressed by the leaders here, the insights they brought, the care that they brought, knowing that they're there uh, because they care for people who are struggling. And so it was a privilege and an honor. Had a chance to hang out with Dave and Brendan and, and, the, and the guys from Parmada, and we're just going to do some more of that. But we, I did the whole, the whole uh, harbor tour and everything, so I, am, I, I was not eaten by a shark. Uh, my wife is not here because she said, everything there will kill you. Uh, that's what she's heard. Um, so I'm going to go back to her, and even if I face something that will kill me, I'm going to lie to her and say, nothing is going to kill you here. Maybe the sun over time, <coughs> but nothing else. Um, but no, I'm, a, I'm from Covenant Fellowship Church in Philadelphia, if you're not familiar with the States. Fly to L.A., don't stay there, keep going, and go to the East Coast, and between Washington, D.C. and New York is Philadelphia. It's a great place to live because it takes two hours to get to D.C., two hours to get to New York, so we can do both in a day, and so it's actually a great place. And Philly's a great place, too. Um, so uh, what I want to do today is just, uh, first of all, thank God for this partnership that we have, um, to have a man like Dave doing all he's doing globally for us. You know, it is our heart. When we think of global movement, we don't think worldwide ministries. We think of the distinctive of sovereign grace that other people would love to know about and they don't. And churches built on those distinctives in partnership together across the world. We will probably never get big. The goal isn't to get big. The goal isn't a church, you know, a church in every possible country in the world. The church, the goal is to try to find partnership, like-minded brothers and sisters, uh, churches that want to, uh, to 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 plant other churches in their locations and and do this together and learn together. We're increasingly a global community, and so we want to make sure that we're not, particularly because our movement was started in the states. We're not just a United States import export movement. We are a part of a global family. And so that's a privilege I have of being an American is to be able to say, I want to think and live globally. Um, 
And, and guys like Dave and, and, and the other guys who are leading the different regions are helping us to stop thinking like Americans and start thinking like believers uh, with other believers throughout the globe. So thank you. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for letting us participate in what you're doing. Thank you for not leaving us Americans behind, dragging us along. Uh, and it is such a wonderful thing to see what God is doing in Sovereign Grace. Let's look at our text. Galatians 5, we're going to begin in verse 25. And go to chapter 6, verse 5. The Apostle Paul writes, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something When he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each of one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Lord, as we engage your word today, the preaching is not the point. Preaching is a tool for you to use to speak to our hearts. So, Lord, I I pray I would be a precision tool. I would pray I'd be a tool that can be used by you to serve this body of people as they seek to serve you. Help us to hear what you intend to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, what did the pandemic do to your spiritual life? It's a question I've been asking myself personally. In some ways, for me, it was a good thing. The shutdown interrupted the busyness of my life and forced a slowdown, which I really needed. While during the pandemic, I had a couple, a chance to read a couple of long theology books I had always wanted to read, but never had the courage to pick up in a busy season. I, uh, I did a lot of study on uh, the civil rights movement in America and the, the black church because I feel like I was ignorant. And it was an opportunity to stop and immerse myself in something that someone like me should be knowing more about. Um, I, I did a lot of study on getting old because it's about time. And... Uh, The pandemic did do a number on our church. We had to do a lot of Zoomings, as you have. Uh, I wasn't able to come here. I was supposed to be here two years ago. Wasn't able to come because of the pandemic. Um, There was a lot of ministry that couldn't get done because ministry requires connection with people, and that was limited. I'm sure you experienced that as well. Uh, We had to do a lot of Zoom meetings. 
we've been able as a church to start meeting openly for a year now, but it still feels like things are starting to get back to normal. We don't think we've reached back to this is where we're supposed to be. People are still kind of wandering a bit. Um, Culturally, I know this happened in our culture, probably yours as well. There's been a rise in what is being called internet spirituality. And the idea behind internet spirituality <coughs> is the, that everything I need for a robust spiritual life. Now, this is beyond Christianity, but it applies to Christianity. Christians are involved in this. Everything I need, I really can get from the internet. And, and the pandemic actually press that in because a lot of things could only be accessed from the internet and people found the internet to be a place where and and people were saying I don't know what I'm really missing by not participating in going to church and meetings internet spirituality is the idea that what I really need my worship my community my teaching my giving my service can all be done on the internet I can worship with Hillsong or Maverick City in the States, I can get the preaching of Kevin DeYoung or Matt Chandler. Um, I can be part of my own group where we can talk about how the church is dealing with lockdown or political or social issues. I can click a button to give. Virtual church kind of works. But is it true spirituality? In this passage, we're going to get an unexpected take on what it means to be a spiritual person. Because the Bible isn't written... Just as our individual spiritual instruction alone, we're going to learn how we as a spiritual community should walk it out. There's both a personal and community application in this text. This morning we're going to just walk through this wonderful patch of the scripture. The points are really just the verses. We're going to go verse by verse and we're going to explore what the scripture tells us. And so let's look at the first verse. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You see, the way the Bible understands it, the spiritual life isn't something we develop. This already separates the Christian from most other religions and most other spiritualities, which tend to have the idea that we, we cultivate it. We go out and we get our spirituality. We, we earn our spirituality. We develop it from within. That's not the way the Christian life functions. When Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, that is a rhetorical question. The central message of Paul's letter to the Galatians tells us where our spirituality comes from. Galatians 2.20. You probably know it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved him and gave himself for me. There is nothing of my effort in that passage. There is nothing of my effort in my salvation. There is a response to the work of someone else. Jesus Christ. What has happened in us. As we read in Galatians to 20 should though and this is what Paul's getting at in Galatians 5:25 it should produce a course of action bias what happens in us 
is not inert. It's not meant to just sort of live there. It, it's meant to produce action by us. If Christ lives in us and he lives in me, then I'm to live by faith in him. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. That's just another way of saying, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. To be spiritual is to be active and moving, not just pondering, not just reflecting. We don't determine what it means to live the spiritual life. Paul says it's walking purposely in a direction, a direction the Spirit of God is leading us. That, that's why some translations like the NIV translate this is keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is moving. Are we keeping in step with Him? We cannot ever look at our lives and say, I'm okay, without referencing the question is, what is the Spirit calling me to do? Where is he calling me to grow? Where is he calling me to go? The Christian life is an active life. And it acts in a certain direction. It isn't just shot out of a cannon. No, the Spirit of God is in us, moving us in a certain direction. But what direction is that? Well, verse 26 Seems like a diversion. Seems like we're moving and now boom, now it's a diversion. Because Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. What is that all about? That doesn't seem to, this idea, okay, let's, we're, we're, we've received the spirit, let's go. Now he's talking about don't do, don't, 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 don't. Now he seems like he's stopping us. The interesting thing is that if we walk by the spirit, he's going to lead us. Right into the messiness of relationships. That's what Paul is telling us. He's saying, you're going to follow me. You're going to go right into the mess of relationships. I'm presently reading a devotional book that I've always wanted to read. Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. Very famous book. Thomas was a medieval monk who was known for his spiritual disciplines. Interestingly though... Though he's venerated in the Catholic Church, he was never canonized as a saint. Several years after he died, they dug up his coffin to collect relics, which is part of the canonical process back then. But when they opened the coffin, they found scratch marks on the inside of the coffin. Apparently... Thomas was not quite as ready to meet with Jesus as he thought he was. But he was a man, as one biographer said, who liked books and quiet corners all the days of his life. Lived 91 years. That's a guy like me. I like books and quiet corners. I was was telling the guys, I'm a... I call myself a social contemplative. I'm not an introvert. I don't withdraw from people. But I, 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 my energy comes from being alone. I'm never bored and I'm never lonely. Leave me by myself and I'm endlessly fascinated with what happens around me or what happens in me. I don't get bored. Um, being with people is draining for me. It can be... It, I, can, I can have experiences where I feel like I need to withdraw. Now, maybe you're like that. Maybe you're somebody who 
who's energized by people. Praise God for you. I don't understand you, but praise God. Um, but so this was very attractive to me because because what what Akimpus is trying to say in his book is to imitate Christ is to withdraw. The message of the book is that spiritual life is deepened and enhanced by withdrawing into intimate fellowship with God. Yes, we have to interact with other people because we live in culture, but that is more distracting and draining to the spiritual life. It fits my personality to think like that. To be among people is distracting and draining. The problem is, Thomas was only partly right. There is a place to say we need to withdraw and be with Jesus. Jesus himself withdrew to be with the Father. But the deep work of the Spirit in us is a work that actually does the opposite. It motivates us out of self into community, into relationship with other people. That's the imitation of Christ because that's what Jesus did. Jesus left complete fulfillment with the Father to come and be among sinners. Incarnate himself to be with us and like us so that he might redeem us. And then he sends us out with the same commission. Go and represent me in the world. Be out there. Don't find your spirituality by withdrawing. Find your spirituality by engaging with people in the world. But when spirit leads us to other people, and this is why Paul puts this in verse 26. When he leads us toward other people, it gets complicated and messy. So he isn't. What he's doing here is, these are not three rules. These are not, just don't be conceited. Don't provoke one another and don't envy another. It's not like going to the beach where you see a sign and there are three rules. Don't, don't swim in a riptide. Watch out for sharks. And don't touch anything in the water that looks like it could swim around because it's probably poisonous. Those are the things that Americans think that you're going to experience here. It's not that. It's not a warning signs. What it's doing is it's casting a picture. These are not just three rules not to break. Together, these three things represent a picture of what it means to not walk by the Spirit. There's a sense of competitiveness in us and a contentiousness in us and a comparisonness in us where we compare ourselves with others. It's relating to people based on how they get in the way of what we want or feel like we need. That's what he's driving at. People are not in the way. Of us. Let's not treat each other as problems to be avoided or fixed. People walk by the, people walking by the Spirit don't create boundaries in their lives. People walk by, walking by the Spirit, to them there are no toxic people. People don't trigger us just by being who they are. That's what Paul's driving at. When you move in the direction of where the spirit is going, you're going to encounter problems with people and in your own heart regarding them. Do not let that stop you from where you're going. That's why he inserts that verse. 
So the turn of the chapter then introduces to what the spiritual life looks like. Don't let that stop you. Verse 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. So Paul says, brothers. Paul lets us know that to walk by the Spirit is to do it as members of God's family. Spirituality isn't simply an individual experience. It is a life lived in a spiritual family. You've been gathered here as as an expression of spiritual family. You are a spiritual family, but your spiritual family goes far beyond this. Hence, global mission. There's spiritual family out there that we don't know, that we want to know. But you are a spiritual family here. And so you relate to one another as brothers and sisters. Spirituality is inherently communal. Healthy spiritual life cannot be cultivated outside of community. The big issue coming out of COVID is people think it might be able to be done that way. But it can't be. If, you, if you're doing biblical spirituality. There's a lot of cultural spirituality. That can be called. By Christian terms. But it's not biblical. Biblical Christianity. Spirituality requires. Community. We need the brotherhood. And the brotherhood needs us. Sometimes folks in our church. Because. We, our small groups, you're in them forever, right? I've been in small groups for 45 years. There are times, eh, not really crazy about my group, you know? It's not going to be a party every time. Sometimes groups you look around, and I'm in a pastor's group, and I look around and I go, really? <laughs> you know, what do you really have to offer me? If I had chosen to attend based on how helpful groups are for me, and there is an important part of that, I've only got half the truth involved. Because I'm supposed to also go to a group because how I'm supposed to bless others. That's why I go. God intends for me to go to be used by Him to bless other people. There's There's a danger if all you think about is how is the group serving me, it's like a bunch of people coming into a, 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 a sealed room and all inhaling the, the, the air out at the same time and sucking the room out of, out of there because I've got to come in and I've just got to get all the air for myself. There needs to be breathing in groups. There needs to be breathing in our fellowship where we are inhaling the benefits of, of people toward us and exhaling the benefits of us toward them. That's healthy spirituality. There's always, there's always an inhaling and exhaling so that we all benefit from being together. We have to contribute, not just receive. And when I contribute a confession, a thought about a passage of scripture, a question about a topic, an encouragement, a prayer, then I start to see why I'm there. Because God gives me a sense of what he's doing by the Spirit. Then I realize, oh, 
That person needed that. God used me. God, God positioned me. I wasn't going to come to this group and I decided last minute, okay, I'll give it another shot. And somehow God, God put something on my heart and I shared it and it had an effect on that person. And now I understand what God was doing. Now I understand why God said, go this direction. The Spirit said, walk this way. Not because I'm going to always get something, but because God's going to do something in the interchange with other people while I'm there. Paul gives us one key way that true spirituality is proved in this verse, and that is when our brothers are caught in transgression. So caught in transgression, the the picture there is trapped or ensnared. It's not a long-term pattern of sin in view here. There are other texts that Paul drives drives when it comes to long-term commitment to live an unbiblical life. There's a process of correction and appeal and potential discipline for people who are committed to disobedience of the Lord. Paul's instruction has in mind here the metaphor of 525. Someone who's seeking to walk by the Spirit, but then they stumble in sin. They're going along and something happens and they stumble in sin. They didn't plan it. It comes along, but they fall into it or it entraps them. And we've all had that experience. A few weeks ago, I come back from a trip um, and my wife and I don't have a lot of conflicts. We do a pretty good job of talking things through before it gets to conflict. But I just decided one night that I was going to avoid all that and just get to the point. And, uh, and it was about money. So if you ever have that, don't ever do that with money issues, particularly. So, uh, so I just kind of said, you know what? You got to stop doing that. Like that was my loving correction. <laughs> that doesn't work. You see my, you see my spreadsheet? That doesn't work. And, um, and <laughs> sadly, I said, I used the classic always and never kind of language, right? That's always helpful. Um, so I just don't feel like you ever come and ask me questions about budget things. And she said, 37 years, never. And something inside of me say, I think I'm going to try to defend that statement. (laughs) I think it's worth a shot defending that statement. I think I'm that good of an attorney. And, uh, and so I started defending the statement. And so two hours later, uh, we were no longer watching the movie we were both enjoying. And because I had just said it in the middle of the movie. And because I thought, you just need this little fly-by comment. That's what will help you. Let me just give you a fly-by comment. And we'll be good to go. Um, it wasn't helpful. So we worked through it. Confession. Uh, and lesson learned. Lasted five days. Did it again five days later. And different topic, uh, life schedule, you know, priorities. Another good one to say, you know what, you need to stop doing that and do this. Um, because my schedule is more important than yours. And, uh, and again, same thing happened. And this time I was less defensive. And, you know, if she were here, I think she would say she was more defensive. It was still my initiative to do it. But I think she was ticked off at me. And I was a little more aware that I had sinned badly last time. So I was sinning much less badly this time. <laughs> Um, and so it was, it felt a little more equal to me, which all that does is just keep me moving toward it. 
And so uh, we had to deal with it. And so I'm recognizing, okay, I'm stumbling. I'm just stumbling. And she's in the way of my stumbling. And, and I need help. I need help. So my community group came to the rescue and helped me process through it. But that's what the idea is behind. Is it's this idea we stumble. We all stumble, brothers and sisters, don't we? Who here has never stumbled? Who's here has had a completely straight walk? Who here has never found themselves, how did I get here from where I was going? Because situations sometimes seem so perfectly attuned to stumble us. Things come together in such a way that we don't even see it and then it happens. When we look back on it, we realize, oh yeah, I was not, I had a headache and and we had a misunderstanding and there was a time pressure and we're on the way to a meeting where we need to go and present ourselves as godly people and I need to get you acting more godly quickly and, <laughs> and you know, boom. And so... So we just got to recognize, that's the beauty of this passage, is Paul is not treating us as if all we are is sinners. He's saying we are people who want to follow and walk by the Spirit, who occasionally stumble. What a wonderful, redemptive view of the spiritual life. Yeah, you're going to stumble, but it doesn't define you. You just need help when you do. And so that's what he says. So he says, if anyone's caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, those who are walking by the Spirit, who aren't currently stumbling, restore him in a spiritual, a spirit of gentleness. The idea is we don't need to confront. He probably already knows. She probably already knows she stumbled. We just need to help them get back to the path because they already want to get back to the path. We need to help them do that. Um, and how do we do that? Verse 6-2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The key word here is the word translated bear. Greek word is bastazo. It's not a word used a ton in the New Testament. But when it's used, it's used in powerful ways. Bastazo is not a fancy drink at the local coffee shop. It means to lift up, to raise, to bear up, to carry, to endure, to sustain. It's not tolerant or patient. There's actually another word, like for example in in Colossians 3 when it says bear with one another. That's another word and the meaning is different. That has to do with being patient. That has to do with recognizing that I need to be patient with you because you're struggling. This is not a patience word. This is an active word. This is a move toward and help Bear up under somebody. Literally, the picture is to put your shoulder underneath something so that the other person can help bear it. An illustration might be if you if you've ever had the experience of we 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 call them double beds or king queen size beds or king size beds, but nobody's going to do this. But a queen size bed, you have a mattress and you're trying to carry it up the stairs by yourself. You ever tried to do that? Like, there's no handles, like. Or they don't, there are handles, but you quickly realize they're not about pulling, because they, they break off. They're flipping, they're flipping handles. I learned that. That's why they exist. They to help flip a mattress. They're not meant to, I'm like, why don't you put real handles? Because you have to move mattresses, and there's no place to grab a mattress, right? Your, your, your little t- fingertips have to grab the, 
the edges of it and you're trying to pull it and it's like bending and going all over the place and you're, and you get up in the, and you're trying to pull it up the steps and that doesn't work. So you get behind it and you're trying to push it up the steps. And let's say that's happening. You see somebody's doing that and you come along and you say, wow, that looks hard. You're doing a great job. You know, I, I, I don't think that way is going to work. You know, I, it seems like you're pretty tired. How can I pray for you? That's not bastazo. Bastazo is, okay, why don't you do this? You get at the front, I'll get at the back, and we'll do this together. And we'll get this thing up the steps. That's the idea Paul's talking about when he's talking about bearing one another's Sin, or transgressions. There's actually something we have to fill it out with, which is, comes from Romans 15.1. It's a parallel passage. The language in the passage, Paul set up the same conversation. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. There he's talking about, again, same word, bastazo. There are strong, what he's talking about there is there are strong believers and weak believers. Weakness can come through immaturity or lack of knowledge. So Romans 15 is about weakness. Romans, I mean, Galatians 6 is about sin. So the full picture is we all have weaknesses of some kind. Some of our weaknesses are just weaknesses of our, our struggles or our ensnarements because we're just weak. We don't understand how to deal with something. Sometimes there's sin. We actually stumble in disobedience to, to God. We're going to all be weak in some way. Christians are not Jedi Knights. There is no Yoda status we'll ever get to. We'll always have some kind of burden, some kind of weakness or struggle where we need other people. Bastazo ministry is not gifts. It's not a role in the church. It's a particular way we express love. Second part of that, uh, verse 2, he says, And so fulfill... The law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? We know that because in Galatians 5.14, Paul says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We know that. So the whole law is fulfilled in love. So that means what Paul is saying, bear one another's burdens because that is how we love one another. Martin Luther in his commentary on this text said, To love is not to wish well to one another, but to bear one another's burdens. That is, to bear those things which are grievous unto you and which you would not willingly bear. The implication Luther's talking about is this is never fun. I don't ever get a lot of benefit from this. This is something I do simply out of love. I don't minister to people to make me myself feel better. I don't do this because I win points. I do this because this is what the Spirit of God is calling me to do. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. Question I ask myself is... Am I a needy person? If, if I asked you the question, are you a needy person? You would probably say, no, I'm not. If I met you at a small group, would you introduce yourself as, hey, 
I'm the group problem. I'm astonishingly self-absorbed. I'm hypocritical. I'm stubborn. I'm unfaithful coming. I'm insensitive and I dominate conversations with my outlandish dependents. And I don't bring snacks. <laughs> it's great to meet you. We don't, we don't think we're problems. But guess what? At any point in time, we're somebody else's problem. We're somebody else's weak person. Somebody's having to bear with us. Somebody's having to be patient with us so that they can help us. Somebody has to ask God for grace and love to bear your burdens. I'm on a wonderful pastoral team. I irritate guys on a regular basis on my team. Because we've been working together for a long time and they know my weaknesses and they know, they know when we're sitting in an elders meeting and somebody has a brilliant idea, I'm going to be the guy that says that won't work. And then they have to deal with that and they just expect it. Okay, here comes, they call me the wet blanket. Here comes the wet blanket. Here's a great idea, just put a wet blanket on it um, and, uh, and suffocate it. And so... They have to deal with that. And other guys on the team have quirks. We all have quirks. And so the idea behind this is we're always going to be weak. And somebody's going to have to help us. Somebody's going to have to help bear our burdens. So verse 3. Verse three For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. That's an interesting verse. It's kind of complex. It's kind of what is Paul saying? The way we get through this is just we find a way to find what we really do well and just and just boast about it. No, that's not what he's driving at. What he's driving at is this. We need a little biblical self-awareness. How do we view ourselves? Do we view our, our own sin? Do we, do we know where we have a tendency to stumble? Do we know where we have a tendency to be a burden for other people? Are we aware of that? Do we, we tend to compare our our weakness, our sin, in a very interesting way. Sometimes we'll compare it in light of the good things we do. Yeah, I struggled there, but this is all the good things I do. Or have done. We tend to offer ourselves a pass for extenuating circumstances. Yeah, I know I didn't handle that well, but this is what was going on. And, you know, I think God understands. God's merciful. God's grace. We offer ourselves as a pass. We tend to... what we. We've done as a response to what somebody else has caused us to do. So, well, yeah, I know I did that, but really I was just reacting to what this was going on here. Um, we, 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 we tend to, to, to compare us to somebody who's worse than us. What Paul is kind of driving in here in an application is we need to take that tendency to mitigate our sin. And turn that on the other person. Let's view their issue as if there are extenuating circumstances we don't know. Let's view their issue as if this is a small thing in light of all the good things God is doing. Let's view their issue as if, you know what, um, there's excuse for this. Let's not go quickly to, this is sin that has to be dealt with. Let's give them the same grace that we would want them to give us. That's what he's driving at. And when it, 
comes to other people if we're going to help bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to be careful not to be people fixated on sin at all. Not to be people who can identify sin. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. When someone says, I'm discerning because I can really see other people's sin, that is not biblical discernment. You you can be an idiot and identify people's sin. People's sin will hit you in the face. If you don't see it, that may be the issue. But the skill is to identify grace. Can I identify grace when the first thing I see is sin? Can I find some evidence of God at work when somebody is stumbling? If we're going to bear one another's burdens, we have to be able to say, where is God's grace at work? Let me get underneath it where the grace is. I don't want to, I don't want to say, listen, you're carrying it all wrong. Just let it go. I'm going to do it. We don't say, you know what? You know what? You've got issues and you can't carry it. And you know, until you get your issues straight, you can't carry it. No, we say, you know what? You're, you're having trouble here, but, but I can see where strength can come from. And I want to get, I want to align myself with that. You know, husband comes and, and, and shares in, in the group his frustrations with something about his wife or his family. And you want to lay into him and say, listen, you know, just be a man, suck it up and do it, which is you know, sometimes good advice. Um, but no, why don't you instead say, hey, you know what, bro? I see the grace of God in you. I see, I see how you're battling. See, one of the very significant things we need to recognize as believers is there is a category of temptation. And temptation is not sin. Sin is transgression. That's what he says, what Paul says in, in verse 1. Trespasses. Sin is trespassing. Sin is when I, when I know or I should know what God says and I deliberately choose either not to listen and follow or to disregard what God says and does my own way. That's sin. There's a transgressive aspect to it. When we're helping people... Sometimes you're going to help people and they're really battling a temptation. And it, the aroma feels like sin, but they're actually in the fight. And we've got to recognize most people we encounter, they're in the fight. And let's help them to fight. Let's not condemn them for sin when they're struggling with temptation. Temptation is common, Paul says. So I think if you're going to be a Bastazo community, you have to have a category for temptation and battle. And when someone fights the battle well, even if it looked like they were down on the mat three times. You know, we've been watching rugby and, you know, it's just guy run, bam, you know, and then get up, bam. And, and uh, I've got it. I figured it out. It's, you know, it's it's a bunch of wrecks and then somehow somebody gets through and scores. Um, but... You know, there's that sense where you can watch that and you can say, there's a guy right in front of you. Why are you hitting him again? Um, why are you running out into him? Um, and I get the strategy. But the point, the point is, the point is, we can look at that and we can say, this is futility. But there's a bigger picture. The ball is being moved slowly down the field, even if the collisions are frequent and hard. Can we recognize the forward movement of the ball? Or do we just see the collisions and say you shouldn't be there? 
So that's what we have to recognize if we're going to deal with this. If we're going to bear the burdens of others, we need to be people who see who other people are in light of who they really are in Christ underneath their problems. Who they are as a work of grace. Who they are as a saint and not a sinner. So just a couple of applications in mind. How do we build a burden-bearing church? There's two things we need to keep in mind. Number one, life is never a burden-free zone. Verse 5 says, For each will have to bear his own load. We will never not be bearing burdens ourselves. Therefore, we always have an opportunity to help others by bearing their burdens. Bastazo cannot be about the eradication of burdens in our midst. There are churches who tend to think Sanctification will mean we get everybody up to a level. We don't have to deal with big problems. Well, number one, that never happens because God delivers the, 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 the raw material to create problems. Number two, if we're that way, we're not reaching the lost. We should be a church who invites problems in. We should love messiness coming into our church because that means the gospel is moving out into the community. But we don't want to have an idea that we can that we can eradicate burdens. This keeps us from making promises we can't keep toward people. I'm going to help you and we're going to, this will never happen again. Or doing things that solve problems in the way we like solving them, but not necessarily in what God is up to. It's kind of like you're trying to pack for a trip and you have a, you have a very tight bonnet. You guys call it bonnet, right? Is that, what's the trunk? Trunk. Okay. The boot. Okay, the bonnet is the front. Okay, got it. Okay. Okay. Okay, that wouldn't work because you can't put stuff on your engine. Um, so, uh, so boot. So you open up the boot and you've got this much stuff and it has to go in this amount of space. And you have that person comes up who is the expert about packing. And they come up and they say, well, listen. And you say, let me help you. And by helping you, they may push you out of the way and do it themselves. I don't know if you ever had that experience, but that's not pleasurable. Because you, it's not your stuff to figure out what to do. This is my domain. You don't enter into my domain. Now, maybe I really need you to do it. But that's what it can feel like. People can come into our lives, and they're coming in our lives with their view of how they unpack and pack our stuff. And that's not what we need. We need to, them to help us pack it the way we think it should be packed. The way it seems like it's best for us. That's what we can't do. We can't come in and, and, and fix people's lives. So we have to be careful with that. What good bastazo does is it identifies the need. It assesses how best I can fit into what God is doing in the need. And then I move toward that and occupy that space and help in that way. The second thing we need to recognize, the first is life is never a burden-free zone. The second is this. The greatest burden in anyone's life can only be carried by Christ. In In the passion narrative in the book of John, John 19, 17, he says, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. That word carrying is the word bastazo. Burden bearing. What he's saying is that Jesus 
bore his own cross. Which is frankly a grotesque statement. Because Jesus did not bear his own cross. Jesus bore our cross. What John is saying there is Jesus so owned our sin that he treated it like it was his own. And he bore it for us. You know the theology. You're taught the theology. But get the imagery. As the sin bearer, our sins have become his. He has come alongside and he says, I will carry this for you. We love God because he gave himself up for us. If you're here today and you're weighed down by problems and burdens in life, don't lose sight of this important fact. There is only one burden that has true eternal weight, and that's the burden of sin. It's the only weight you will carry that will inevitably crush you. You will never be able to carry it on your own. You'll never be able to successfully get out of it. It will live with you and it will crush you eternally. You can't pass it on to others. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. It is there 24-7. You wake up every morning and it is still there. Morning, anything else in this life, this burden of sin is what defines you and determines your destiny. And Jesus said, I will take that from you. And because Jesus said, I will take that from you, you can know this about Jesus, because in Matthew eleven eighteen twenty eight to 31, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I won't just take your burden, I will give you rest in return. Take my burden upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Our burden bearing and our ability to bear other people's burdens is because Christ has taken the burden that has made the difference in our lives. Just to close, a story. Uh, in, in the United States, the biggest sport is, is American football. And so my local team is the Philadelphia Eagles. And my father-in-law used to have season tickets to their games. They were all on Sunday afternoons. Um, and the stadium, though, is no longer there. They replaced it with a nice stadium. But the stadium they were called Veterans Stadium. It was, a, it was just a concrete hulk of a stadium. And uh, just to give you an idea of the kind of crowd atmosphere that was in the stadium, they had a court and a jail in the stadium so that when people got drunk and got in fights, they would just, they would, they would take them down there. They would, bump guilty, put them in jail. They'd have to serve their sentence inside the stadium before they could leave. And uh, that's just how they dealt with it. And so we were there, and it was a winter, and the the team wasn't very good that year, so they were getting killed, and our commitment was, we can be in the rain in 30-degree weather, and we can be down by by 40 points, but we're going to stay to the end of the game. That was just the way, we were stupid. And... um, and so we were there, and so when you have tickets, you're in the same seats, and there's always usually the same people around you. So one, this particular time I was there, 
Very cold. It wasn't raining, but it was probably 38 degrees. I don't know what that is, Celsius. Zero. Okay, zero. Um, so you're there. You're in your parka. And um, your, your team's getting smashed. And, uh, but um, there was a guy in front of me who was new. He had obviously gotten the tickets from whoever was usually sat there. And was given the tickets. Big guy. Big, tough-looking guy. Um, and he was there with a, with, with, with a woman. And uh, so we're, we're in the second half of the game. And he starts turning around and looking at me. Like, not like, hi, how you doing? Like, angry. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in the seat. I'm thinking, am I, am I knocking him with my leg? What am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. But he kept looking around at me. And then he'd whisper over to the, to the girl and look back at me. And she would whisper to him, going, no, 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 no. And, uh, and I'm just trying to watch what's going on. And I'm trying to figure out my, my strategy here. And, uh, and so I'm thinking, well, maybe it's just, maybe I'm just misunderstanding it. And then at one point, he turns around and just shakes his fist right at me. Right? Now, I'm not a big dude. Um, he was. And I realize something's wrong here, and I don't know what it is. And so I start thinking, what are my strategies? Okay, I could hit him first. <laughs> because the jail might be the safest place for me. Um, but then it's, you know... Pastor starts fight at football game. Not a great headline. Um, so then I realized, okay, I've got this parka on. So I just kind of hunkered down. I got the thing over me. And I just got myself in position. I didn't really, I was like this. I was literally, like the last, you know, 20 minutes of the game, I was like this, ready to take a punch. If I get my arms up, all they can do is wail on me. And if I just, you know, if I rope a doping, then then I can do this until somebody comes along and breaks it up and I might survive. So we're there and he's just furious and I don't know why. And then I see this peanut flying through the air, bunk on his head. And he turns around because he sees the peanut fall. He turns around and like, like 15 seats down and three rows up, he looks... And there are guys just laughing. And they're, they're just laughing at him. And, and he turns around and he says, and he knows them, right? And he says, did you saw that? And the guy up there said, yeah, man, it's so funny. We've been hitting you with peanuts all night. You know, you didn't know. You thought it was that guy. And he said, yeah, I was going to kill this guy. <laughs> and I... I, I I don't know what the proper response to that kind of a statement is in a social interaction. I don't know if it's thank you that you didn't. I don't know if it's I disagree with that premise. I don't know what you say. So I said, you know, great. <laughs> and the point of the story is this. We're there. We're all in Eagles Green. We're all cheering for the same team. We're all looking at the same direction. But I had a burden and nobody knew it. I was alone. And you are here, all looking at me, all here for the same reason. And you don't know right now who is under the crushing weight of a burden.
who didn't have it yesterday or didn't have it last Sunday or maybe has had it for a long time has never told somebody. But brothers and sisters, at any moment in time, someone in this congregation is being crushed by a burden. They've stumbled. A weakness has been exposed. And we as the people of God, if we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, need to ask God to help us, to direct us toward those people who have burdens we can help carry. If you're going to be a Spirit-led church, He will lead you into burden-bearing. And at some points, someone will come into your life to help you bear your burden. That's biblical spirituality according to Paul in Galatians. Amen. Well, church, let's um, be upstanding. Let's respond to the fact that we have a king who is truly our burden bearer. And because of him, we too can bear each other's burdens.